Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and in today's episode, we are talking about fertility, burnout, the emotions and feelings that can come up when you set out on a fertility treatment journey, and the impact that it can have on our relationships. On the episode, I invited Dr. Tamika Zore. She's a fertility specialist and board-certified OBGYN. She um, completed her fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at UCLA, and I'm so thrilled to have her on the episode. Together, we explore ways in which you can hold space for some of these big feelings and ways in which you and your partner can find each other again amidst some of the challenges and triggers that can show up when it comes to intimacy and the partner relationship. I'm so excited to share her with all of you and her wisdom, so let's get to it. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, Dr. Zori. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. And I know you you literally were just doing some transfers. <laughs> you're, you're a fertility doctor specialist, and I know that you're working today and you found time to come on and chat. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Cassie. I'm very excited to be here. Okay, first and foremost, can you share with us a share with us a little bit about your background and the work that you do so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit? Yeah. Um, my name is Dr. Tamika Zori. I am a um, board-certified OBGYN and fellowship-trained reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. I am currently practicing at Spring Fertility in San Francisco, which is where you can find me. Um, originally, I'm from Indiana and um went to, did my undergrad um, in college at the University of Texas, where I ran track um, and and was a pre-med major, and then did my medical school and residency back in Indiana, where I was from, and and then ended up doing my fellowship at UCLA um, out in Los Angeles, and was in practice there for a little under a year, and then um, I'm very fortunate to be now at Spring Fertility in the Bay Area. Um, And again, I'm very happy to be here talking about this. Um, I'm very passionate about fertility and people learning about their reproductive health and, and hopefully breaking the stigma and, and, and taboo and the shame that can surround miscarriage and infertility and this process in general. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, uh, before we were recording, I was sharing with you just how uh, grateful I was to find your Instagram account and your page. I think that you have a really um, beautiful way of sharing really valuable information in a way that's really warm and 
inviting and um, I don't know, you hold space for a lot of the big stuff that can happen around the fertility journey and experience um, in a way that's really accessible. And I think that's so valuable. I, um, I wish that when um, we experienced our own miscarriage um, a couple of years ago that I had uh, resources like you at my fingertips to kind of go to. Because I think that at the time it felt like I was the only one and there must be something wrong with me. And I felt very alone in the experience. And I'm a therapist that mm-hmm. knows these things, but gosh, it can be such an isolating experience. And so I'm really, really excited to talk to you today about you know, beyond just the technical stuff around getting fertility support, like the, I want to talk about the emotional and relational experience, um, if we could, because you, you, t- you do touch on this a lot on, on Instagram. So first I wanted to ask what kind of inspired you to get on social media and share about some of these experiences more broadly? Yeah, I think, um, you know, social media in the past probably five plus years has really, I feel like, taken hold of our daily lives. And, and a lot of people get information and, and support through online groups, whether it's through Instagram or Facebook or other online support groups. And I just wanted to be another voice in that community of, of fertility doctors. And, and there are definitely a lot of us on social media, you know, talking about these topics. But just to know, to spread information and awareness about fertility and reproduction. And, and kind of take away the myths. And one good thing about the time we live in is that we have so much information at our fingertips and, and we can sometimes be overwhelmed and consumed with the information we have. But I think it's important to note that not all of this information that we might be seeing is good or accurate information. And so my goal is to just be able to provide evidence-based information um, on the science of fertility and reproductive health and IVF and and also just kind of share on the emotional and mental aspects that I, I sometimes feel are overlooked um, in the journey as well, because this can be, you know, again, a very stressful and, and very emotional process and realizing that those emotions are okay and, and ways mm. to deal with them as well. Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's just dive right into the, the feelings and emotions that can come up around this experience of stepping into fertility um, and coming to see somebody like you, which might mean that there are a variety of different fertility challenges that an individual or a couple is experiencing. What are, what are some of the emotions that you've seen come up for your patients as they step into that fertility treatment journey? Yeah, and it's a wide range and definitely is going to vary on the individual or couple coming in, but it ranges from a sense of being almost relieved to finally come in for that first visit mm. and be taking the first step to, yeah. to figure out what might be going on and, and starting this journey it to, you know, it can be anger and sadness, um, obviously anxiety about the process because it's unknown. Um, mm. Some people may feel guilt or shame around the topic um, due to not you know, either not knowing anyone who's been through this or not feeling like they have anyone to talk to about this. Um, mm-hmm. And so my hope is, you know, at Spring Fertility, our goal with anyone that is coming to see us is that we want to partner with them on this journey and kind of meet them where they are. We want mm-hmm. to provide education for our patients and really, you know, let them be able to guide them on making informed decisions for themselves about their treatment and, and working through, you know, the emotional aspects that come with fertility treatment and and knowing that it's okay and how to work through it. Mm, I love that. The permission to just feel the feelings that come up, right? And that there is actually 
a variety of experiences, emotional experiences that an individual or a couple might experience. So it's so interesting. The first one you shared was relief. And Mm -hmm. I hadn't initially thought of that, but that makes so much sense in, you know, when somebody finally steps through your office doors, there's so much around fertility that can feel like it's out of our control. Right. And I know for someone like me, um, type A likes to have control Mm -hmm. and recovering perfectionists, um, that can be Oh, gosh, that can be super hard to realize and acknowledge that there is so much here that's not in my control. But taking the step to get support to walk in through your office doors could feel like something that you can reclaim agency around, right? Like, okay, I'm yep. taking a step and I have somebody now here who can answer questions and who's going to be supporting me through this. So relief in that makes so much sense. Yep. Yep. I actually remember um, when I, um, with with our first, it took us about six months and um, I, gosh, those six months of, I mean, I didn't even realize like how long two weeks can feel like, you know, right. um, there were a lot of, there's a lot of times where it's like two weeks, you know, <laughs> and I never realized how long two weeks could feel like. Um, and then just how uh, obsessed you can become with like every little sensation or symptom. And then, um, and then to get my period, um, and, or, you know, and it's just, gosh, it was so, uh, devastating. Um, and just, gosh, now I have to wait again, you know, and there's just time seems to go by so slowly, um, while at the same time is going by so fast. Does that make sense? Like it's going by slow, but it's also like, it keeps, I keep, it keeps going fast. And like, you know, I think for, for some, like there's the, the time clock, the internal clock, and there's just Mm -hmm. so, so much around it that can feel so, um, pressured and, and so frustrating. And so a couple of the other um, emotions that you had mentioned here were anger, Mm -hmm. um, which makes a lot of sense. You know, anger is, um, anger can show up as both a primary and secondary emotion in its um, secondary role. Sometimes it shows up because it's easier, as much as anger doesn't feel good, it's easier to show frustration and anger than it is to show some of the like underlying more vulnerable feelings, like feeling really helpless or feeling shame or feeling guilt or sadness. Um, But sometimes anger can show up in its primary role. And in its primary role, anger shows up and says, hey, something here feels like a violation of my of." Um, of my rights in some way, like my, my right to um, become a parent in the yeah. way that I imagined or to have a child without having to go through these treatments or to have these appointments or to spend this money, you know? Um, and I think anger is an understandable emotion in that context as well. Um, I agree. And, and yeah. I, I was going to say with, with anger, um, you know, a, a lot of times, or not a lot of times, but sometimes that can result in blame of a particular partner. If, yes. and I will say repeatedly that infertility is no one's fault and it, there is no blame that should be placed on anyone in this process. Um, but anger can sometimes result in in the uh, partners blaming the other one for potentially whatever infertility issue may be going on because really they're your safe outlet. Your partner is your safe space. And ultimately, you know, hopefully they're going to be there for you regardless of your anger or sadness and feelings you have. But another, you know, one that we want to work through is that there's no blame in this process. It's, it is no one's fault. 
and being really clear about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in the work that I do, I've seen the impact that fertility has on couples and it can show up in so many different ways, but there can be, there can be resentment. Um, and it can show up in like, you know, for instance, there can be resentment towards, um, or anger towards one partner or the other or, or blame. Um, there can also be resentment. I know, um, with some of my clients, um, for the partner who is going through the fertility treatment um, and is going to the appointments and, and maybe their partner is coming with them. And for them, it might feel like, you know, my partner thinks about this occasionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, obviously there's remind, you know, they're, they're thinking about the fact that they're, that they're trying to conceive um, and have a baby, but for the partner who's going through the fertility treatments, it can feel like it is, a, there, there's constant reminders, right? Like mm-hmm. every time they go, to the bathroom and they're looking to see if they've started their period or every little symptom or the fact that the treatments themselves are, are that they're the ones getting the shots or they're the ones that are going through the treatments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, there can be resentment there that, um, that they can feel like they're holding a lot of this on their shoulders or they're sort of the mental load that they carry. Um, is that something that you see as well in, with your patients? Definitely. Uh, All of that. And again, because a lot of times it it is going to be the female partner that is doing, you know, the injections and and coming in for the monitoring visits and and all of that. And so, you know, I've seen patients where it just feels like, I mean, even the male partner may say like they they feel bad that they can't be doing more necessarily. And, and there's, that is not, that's not what we want you to feel. Again, it's, it's no one's fault. and, And our goal is to create the family and build the family that you want, um, you know, and as, as soon as, and as safe as we can. Mm, Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the things that we're touching on here too, is around like the shame, right. Or the guilt. And a lot of times, and there's sort of this, uh, silencing of the experience or kind of keeping those, those experiences or those feelings kind of tucked away. Mm -hmm. Um, but what happens is that, you know, shame, shame loves isolation. Like the more we isolate, the more shame can fester and can grow into something else even more painful. I mean, shame, shame is always painful, but it can just really expand um, and take a hold of us. And one of the things that research has indicated is how important it is to be able to experience really authentic connection, a connection that you can really be vulnerable with, right? Um, and like you said, it's our hope is that uh, your partner can be that safe space for you. And so one of the things that I'll talk to couples about is, you know, identifying time and space where they can check in with each other about how each of them are experiencing the fertility experience. Because the partner who's going through the treatment might have resentment, but they might not know that their partner feels really helpless, right? Or what's going on for their partner on both ends. And so kind of creating space to talk about it and check in with each other about, you know, and some, some couples actually need to like schedule it, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just so easy for life to happen um, and, or to either want to not talk about it because it can otherwise feel all consuming. Um, but to kind of find time to connect around these things and to check in with each other, but also on the flip side to also take breaks from yep. talking about it. And so I want to talk to you about that too, because I've seen this with my clients and I wonder if this is 
a real thing that you see. I mean, I know that it's real because I know that my clients have experienced it, but I'm curious how common it is for individuals or couples to experience burnout around mm-hmm. fertility. Um, and yeah, and on top of the burnout, then there's sort of a pressure of, but do I need, I, I think I need to just keep keep moving forward because, you know, the clock is ticking or because time isn't on my side or any of these things or just, you know, ready and wanting, yeah. wanting to, to have the next thing happen so that they can become parents. Um, do you see burnout as something that shows up? Definitely. And I think that presents in different ways. And, and especially in the couple who's coming in, you know, who has who's not had any children, but wants maybe two or three kids and wants the possibility of that. And if they're, end up, right. if they're going to be doing IVF, that may mean several rounds of IVF to get, you know, three, four, five embryos that we're banking for babies two and three. And because we know fertility is going to be, you know, we're at our youngest now when we're doing this, our egg quality and numbers will decline as we age. And, and so for people going through multiple back-to-back cycles, and maybe they're getting one normal embryo per cycle, or, or maybe one cycle they get none, and they may have maybe a couple normals that are already saved and frozen. And the burnout can be very real in terms of continuing to do multiple rounds of IVF without taking breaks. And and by a break, it can mean like you just take a month off of treatment and, and give yourself a break from the shots and the monitoring and the constant, you know, in and out of our clinic and dealing with that. And, and also for other people for burnout, it can just be that you know, they may have initially had the goal going in that they wanted maybe four tested embryos to be frozen. And and maybe we get to two or three and they need a transfer because mm-hmm. they just need a win. And that by that win is we need to get pregnant. Because by the time someone is coming to us typically and getting through several rounds of IVF, you know, they've already probably been trying to conceive for six, 12 months on average. And right. each month matters. Each month was a negative test and the emotions that go with that each month. And I'm, I'm very aware of that and the emotions that come with each month of trying. And so it's no small task to tell you, okay, you've been trying for 12 months with 12 negative tests or maybe a miscarriage in there. And now we're doing month after month, every six weeks or so doing egg retrievals. And, and that's another few months. And at some point we just need a win and to get pregnant, hopefully. And, and that will that will kind of turn things around. And so that is real too, that maybe you don't get all the embryos you wanted banked and, and you end up going forward with a transfer because you just want to be pregnant now. It's been a year or two since you've been trying to conceive. Yeah. And so I think keeping, like always talking to your provider about where you are and your partner about where you stand and how you're feeling, I think is important and, and being honest with your feelings in this process. Um, yeah. because, you know, knowing that you're not failing by taking a break. You're not giving up on your dreams of a family um, or your future by taking a break. And I think really knowing that is important. Mm. I think I'm so, it's so, it's so really, really valuable to hear you say that. And I hope that the listener really takes that in. I, I know that for some couples that I've worked with, um, that they, some sometimes what some steps that they'll take is when they do take that you know, a break, maybe they take a month or a couple of months, um, that they also give themselves permission to, if they are maybe going to go on a date or go on a little trip or to mm-hmm. do anything, to sometimes do these things and actually consciously say, you know what, fertility, almost as if it's like this other <laughs> entity in their relationship, you know what, fertility, 
I, I know that you're here and we're going to come back to you, but you're, we're, we're not going to invite you on this date night. You know, like we, we need, um, some time where we actually aren't going to, our our conversation are, is not going to be all around fertility. And that the truth of the matter is, is that it's obviously still there in, in your mind. And so in our mind will, it'll pop in, of course. Um, but just, you know, when we notice that to just say to ourselves, okay, like, of course it popped up because, and then why did it pop up? Because this is really important to me. This is something that we really want and, um, has really consumed our life for a very long time now, but I'm just going to gently remind this part of me that we're setting some boundaries and we're just going to come back to the here and now presence and enjoy each other's company, um, and try to take a real break so that we can come back to you, to this to fertility treatments, um, more refreshed and feeling like we're not burning out because, oh gosh, the burnout can be so real. I've seen it. Yeah, agree. It, it really can be. And just realizing that that's okay. And that's not you giving up on, on this process at all. It's just you resetting yourself emotionally and mentally and physically, because this is a, this can be a draining process in all those aspects. Right, right. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about um, anxiety because you had mentioned anxiety or fear, mm-hmm. and I, I see anxiety as being something that shows up a lot for my clients around fertility. Um, you know, anxiety is, and you know, so fear is an emotion we're all wired for. It's there to try to keep us safe. Its job is to, when there's a threat, to turn on this whole system in our body that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response um, in the hopes that whatever the threat is, um, the system will help us um, get to safety and will protect us, right? And then there's anxiety and anxiety is fear's good friend and anxiety um, pops up um, and turns on that same sort of stress response, that same um, fight, flight response. Uh, But oftentimes anxiety can show up even when there's not like a, a direct threat, right? And so what anxiety or fear can sometimes um, showcase to us is in our thoughts, is like thinking about all the worst case scenarios um, and as, as a way to protect us. And I know that for me, one of my fears was not being able to get pregnant. Like what if like once my, my partner and I get married and, and we are ready to try and I knew that we were going to try right after we got married to get pregnant, what if we can't? for whatever reason. Um, and it's interesting. We, we've been together since high school and, you know, it's like you, we spent, you know, through college years, we spent quite a few years trying to not get pregnant <laughs> and, then, and then we get married and it's like, okay, now we're ready. Um, and, and then it took us six months that first time. And those were very long. Those months felt very, very long and anxiety definitely popped in and was like, what if there's something wrong with you? What if you can't get pregnant? Um, what if, what if this doesn't happen? And then, you know, we also are here talking about pregnancy loss as well. After I experienced a miscarriage, my subsequent pregnancies, um, were definitely ones where anxiety showed up a lot more intensely because I had actually experienced what the that greatest fear was, right, of, of losing that child or losing that pregnancy. Um, and so 
gosh, it, it makes so much sense that anxiety would pop up around this experience. Um, how does this how does this show up in your office? What are some of the ways and some of the symptoms or some of the ways in which you see this in patients? Yeah, I think anxiety, and I'll put in there stress with the process, is not yeah. knowing. Um, one, it's just not knowing what to expect. And despite all the research and reading you can do online or talking to friends, it's still a new process. And it's, it's a lot. We're talking about, you know, your, your family and your future, your future family or you know, building to the one you have. And so that can present as a lot of anxiety. And I know, as you mentioned, like I am also a very type A person. And so when I don't know something or understand where a journey is going to be leading me, that makes me very anxious. And it's, it's hard to like let go of control sometimes. And in this process, there you do have to kind of step back and let go of control. But in that same sense, you know, how I approach care is that I know that my patients, most of them have probably been stressed over OPKs for a year and stressed over basal body temping for a year and, and stressed over the faint pink lines for over a year. And, and then they come to see me and, and this is like 12 months of doing this with potential negatives or losses or, or what's been happening for them. And so I want them to know that like, I'm taking over your stress now. Like I, I I'm going to be a part of this journey and you don't need to stress mm-hmm. anymore because we're going to be taking, we're going to be doing this together. And, and so, you know, we don't need you doing necessarily OPKs or basal body temping anymore because we're going to be monitoring this for you. And so I want them, I want all my patients to feel like that they have a true partner in this journey and that I am here for them and that we are aligned in our goals of of where they want to be in the future and, Mm -hmm. and knowing that and being able to, you know, let go of the stress and hopefully have just, you know, being optimistic for the future and treatment. And, Mm -hmm. and I've even seen some people who are nervous to go to IVF because you know, for them, it's like IVF is like my last step, which there are steps mm-hmm. beyond that. But, you know, IVF is kind of that last step. And what if that doesn't work? And so that can be very anxiety provoking as well of, okay, now we're here, but what if this doesn't work? And, right. and so again, I can respect that as well. And just, I think really taking the time to answer patient questions and making them feel comfortable with treatment, I have found has been helpful. I, I think when people know what to expect and they have consistency and reliancy on that, um, they do better. Mm. So a couple of things here that you said that I want to really highlight. So first, this sort of piece of, you know, this is this is you trying working towards your future family and just the gravity of that, right? Like, of course, this experience is going to have this level of intensity because this is so important to this individual and this couple, right? Like this is your future family. And if you're here, that means that you want to become, you want to be a parent and you want this so, of course, so deeply that you're taking now these steps. And so anxiety and fear one of their jobs is to pop in and let us know when something that's really important to us is being threatened, right? And so, of course, it makes so much sense that it would pop in here. Um, And and I, I share that because I think that a lot of times when we feel anxiety or fear, we just don't, we just don't like the way it feels um, and we just want to get rid of it. But it's a, it's an emotion that we're all wired for as humans and it's there to try to keep us safe um, and there to point us towards the fact that this is something that's really important to us, right? And to identify that. 
Um, but what we can do as individuals is reclaim the wheel of identifying what we do have control around, of being able to identify what what is a real threat and what's not. Um, and is is anxiety and fear showing up here? Is it helping us? Like, is it doing its job to keep us safe, or is it keeping us kind of frozen or? Um, are we avoiding any of our feelings? We're just kind of white knuckling through, you know, just the different ways in which we can respond to fear and anxiety and stress. And what I'm hearing you say also is that if somebody is going through fertility treatments and they are resonating with the experience of just feeling really overwhelmed, feeling alone in the experience, feeling anxious or stress, that one way in which you can reclaim agency around this, in which there are so many things that are out of our control. Mm-hmm. One of the ways we can do this is by finding a provider who, like yourself, is going to take your hand through this journey and experience and say, hey, let me take some of that burden off of your shoulders. Like, I'm, you're not alone anymore. Like, we're going to do this with you. We are here for you and with you. And if somebody is not experiencing that, um, you know, that may be a situation where you want to to advocate for yourself and to explore options because what I'm hearing from you is that you deserve to be supported through this experience because of obviously how stressful it can be. Yeah, you you do. And, and I think knowing when you're choosing a provider and kind of navigating this process, I think knowing the kind of patient you are, you know, there, there are definitely different types of patient Mm -hmm. as there are different types of doctors and how we practice. And there are some patients who like, want their hand held and really want to know all the next steps and may need that like extra, you know, just touch. And and that's great that you know that about yourself. And there may be others who like just want the facts and don't need anything else. And there are definitely different doctors who will cater to those and, and how they, you know, do their patient care. And I think knowing what kind of patient you are and what you're hoping from a doctor, it will take away some of the, um, potentially any negative feelings you may have about bad experiences if you can find a doctor who, you know, aligns with that. And, you know, as personally, I tend to be like a very, like, like in terms of just touch points with patients, I, I, I always want to ask how you're doing and I'm always going to take the time to answer your questions and, and make sure that, you know, I end every phone call, every visit with, do you have any more questions? And that's just to make sure that you're feeling like your questions got answered and that you were able to ask them because again you didn't necessarily go to school for this and this is not what you saw yourself doing and how you were thought you were going to be building your family and so I want to make sure that you feel comfortable with with what's going on and that you have your questions answered from a physician and not necessarily from you know Dr. Google Um, and really taking the time to 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 bond with my patients and and build those relationships. Oh gosh, that's such a such a wonderful perspective. Um, I think that so often we think about, you know, the different types of physicians there are, but mm-hmm. how often do we reflect on the kind of like what kind of patient am I, <laughs> right? Like, right. what is it that I'm actually, what is like that actually is a good fit for me, um, right. and taking that into consideration when you are finding a provider that's going to be a good fit for you and for you and your partner. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, and and I think that I imagine that sometimes partners can have different different like experiences, right? Or different needs. Um, And so taking that into context and consideration as well. um, One partner might really 
really need somebody who's going to be warm and um, hold their hand and and be that kind of level of support. Whereas the other might really, the way they feel most supported is if you if you really give me the facts and mm-hmm. um, we focus on that, right? Like what's the target goal? <laughs> like how are we going to get there? Yep. Um, and so I think that for, for couples, I think that this could be a really important conversation to have with each other as you are stepping into this um, journey of fertility treatments, of exploring your options to kind of get on the same page, you know, around um, what what kind of support do we want to have in our provider or in the clinic that we are going to? Um, and if they're different, what are we going to prioritize, you know, and just being super clear on why um, as you're kind of going into it. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. So, when an individual um, who's seeking treatment is partnered, um, let's just imagine that's the case um, for this question, mm-hmm. uh, there can be a huge impact on the partner relationship as we've kind of talked about, talked about and touched on here. Sex and intimacy, though, can be very triggering and it can really wipe out the joy of connecting in that way with each other when you are seeking fertility treatments. Um, any thoughts or suggestions on this? Yeah, and, and that's so true because, you know, again, this this may be the couple coming in who's, you know, we're timing intercourse and, you know, positive OBK, got to go today, tomorrow, et cetera. And so it can definitely yeah. take out the spontaneity that exists around sex and intimacy. And yeah. so I think, again, is just remembering to to take time with the two of you. Um, and maybe that means you're, you go on a date. And again, like you said, you kind of put the fertility part away and you go on a date and you talk about everything else besides that and you have a glass of wine and you enjoy yourselves and don't have any guilt about that either um and maybe that means you go on a vacation together and again it's not the just relax and go on vacation you'll get pregnant but just I want you to go on vacation together and build and work on your relationship with you know just the two of you and focusing again on each other and trying to set aside the fertility portion of it to just you know enjoy each other's company and being able to talk to each other and just mm. making sure that you guys are communicating and involve your partner in, in what's going on in this process and, and feel like you are, you know, truly a partner in this journey and that it's that yeah. you don't feel alone, that your partner doesn't feel alone in the journey and that you two are really going through this together, um, I think is helpful. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I'll see with couples that are struggling around the intimacy and, and sex as they're navigating the fertility treatment. And one thing that we'll sometimes talk about is, all right, if, if right now, because sometimes sex can be triggering, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's like we have been maybe trying to have, we've been having sex for six to 12 months trying to get pregnant. Um, That's been a hope and a goal um, along with connecting with each other. And now, and now it just feels triggering. Um, It's a reminder in some ways of what's not quote unquote working, you know, Um, and it can just uh, be so hard for couples. And so something that I'll talk to couples about is all right, let's, let's, we'll, we'll get to sex right now, but right now let's just mm-hmm. talk about the two of you being connected to each other and feeling loved and supported by each other. Right. And so we'll have conversations around different, there, there are different love languages and how can we be expressing love to each other and, ex- and experiencing love in the way that feels that we, re- that we want to be receiving it. 
Um, let's also talk about ways in which we can engage in touch with each other that doesn't feel triggering right now, you know, and it might mean taking things in really in stages, right? Like maybe right now it's like, I just want to have my hair brushed by you, or I just want to cuddle or I, a massage feels nice, but anything more than that just feels too triggering. And so we Mm -hmm. just you know, we, we slowly ease our way into reconnection in, in a way that really meets people where they're at, um, but also is very tailored to their needs, you know, um, and having open dialogue around, you know, from like maybe for one partner, it's like, I really, I just feel touched out from all the, all the um, ways in which I'm being touched through fertility treatments, right? Um, and, or, and, or it's touch is triggering. And so, but you know, what I really love is I really, I really love quality time. Or I really love words of affirmation. Um, and so just exploring different ways that couples can, find each other again through this process because sometimes it can, in a variety of different ways, we can feel disconnected or distance or um, have other challenging emotions that can show up and impact the the couple relationship as well. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So because fertility can be so consuming and over-consuming, like we've, we've talked here about, you know, going on dates, like taking breaks, um, and not inviting fertility on the date. And, you know, when fertility pops up, just kind of allowing yourself permission to put it aside and recognizing that you deserve time and space to take a break, um, from, from thinking about it and and doing it because burnout is real and that can just, uh, it can be a vicious cycle of burnout and stress. Right. And so, what are some what are some other recommendations that you have as a for someone who specializes in this and is working with these with these couples or individuals? How do you talk to people about how fertility can be so consuming, um, or how to navigate things like, gosh, now I have to wait two weeks. Like, how am I going to survive these two weeks? Like, do you have any suggestions for people in how they kind of navigate um, all consuming elements of it um, and just the time components, right, and the waiting? Yeah, the waiting is hard, and especially, you know, after embryo transfer. And again, you have this two-week, 10 to 14-day wait of, you know, waiting to take that pregnancy test. Um, you have your blood drawn by the clinic. And for that, you know, the best part of that is try to keep yourself busy. Um, maybe it's you're reorganizing at home. Um, again, maybe you're taking like a, a little mini vacation with your partner to try to take your mind off of this, knowing how hard I know that is. Um mm-hmm. And and again, however you can support your mental and emotional health, I think is important through this entire process. And so making sure that along with physically how you feel during the IVF process or during the fertility journey, making sure mentally and and emotionally you're feeling good as well. And, And that can mean staying on top of, you know, making sure you're eating healthy and doing and exercising whatever form of exercise you enjoy. And, or maybe that's walking or hiking or, you know, whatever that means for you. And maybe it's acupuncture, or maybe it's journaling or meditation, and just making sure that you're you're doing those things for your own mental and emotional health, because that is as important, if not more, than than the physical component as well. And mm-hmm. and just knowing that taking a break in any time during this journey is okay, and yeah. just making sure that you're supporting each other and not placing blame on anyone and at all in this process. Mm-hmm is another important aspect as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that this is one of those experiences that uh, it can really, it can really kind of like open us up and it can feel, we can end up leaving, we can feel very raw in the experience. And I, what I found with a lot of my clients that come in once they are taking the step to um, do fertility treatment, then they'll, I find a lot of people then at that point in time will reach out to me. And I think that what happens in this space is because all of a sudden there's something that you can't control, right? I think that for a lot of us, it's like, well, if I work hard enough, if I study hard enough, if I do any of these things hard enough, then I'll, I'll achieve some this thing that I want, you know? Um, and this is one of those things where, gosh, there's just so much that's out of our control. And what can happen is that a lot of stuff that maybe has just sort of been festering there under the surface, um, it can leave us feeling very vulnerable. And what can happen then is all these, these parts of us that have been under the surface can kind of come forward, whether that has to do with old stuff related to your own family of origin and your relationship with your parents um, or fears you have about you or your body um, or your, or your, like you as a parent one day and what that means, right. Um, in your journey to becoming a parent. And so there's just, it can bring up so much stuff that is even not related to the fertility specifically. Um, and so I share that because if somebody is listening and they're resonating with any of this, that, you know, therapy can be a really beautiful space where as you're walking through what can be for many individuals and couples, the hardest thing that they go through together while you're going through that, that you don't have to go through it alone, right? You can find a provider that can meet your needs, whatever those needs are um, in terms of a reproductive specialist, Um, but also also a therapist, right? To kind of support the, all of the feelings that can come with this um, and all of the stuff that just kind of comes forward as you're kind of being opened up through this experience, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Definitely. Completely agree. All right. So Dr. Zori, where can people find you? Um, I, I will definitely share links, anything that you share in the show notes. Um, Instagram definitely is where I found you. So I'll just start off yeah. the, you know, right off the bat, want to share how um, wonderful it is to follow you on Instagram and the information that you share is so valuable and the way that you share it. I really appreciate just how warm and supportive it is. Um, but where else can people find you and, um, you know, what, what kind of, what are the best ways to kind of get in touch with you if somebody's listening and they wanted to get in touch? Yeah. Um, Instagram, again, I, I'm on there pretty regularly trying to update that and just provide resources for patients and, and the journey and information. And so um, it's Tamika Zori MD on my, for my Instagram page. And then I am at, again, Spring Fertility in San Francisco. And the website is www.springfertility.com. And we have locations um, throughout the Bay Area in San Francisco and Oakland and in Sunnyvale. And we also have a clinic in Vancouver as well that we partnered with. And so, um, again, all of our providers are wonderful. I feel so very fortunate to be at this clinic and and have the support from from the laboratory to the other physicians to our wonderful staff. Um, It is a great clinic. And, again, we are happy 
to see you. If you have any questions, I am always happy to answer questions um, through the social media or email. I can't always be super specific in terms of treatment unless I'm actually seeing and treating a patient just because there's so much that goes into that journey and providing, you know, medical, true medical information for a specific person. Um, But I'm happy to answer any basic questions I can for anyone who reaches out as well. Thank you, Dr. Zori, so much for sharing everything that you've shared with us today. And I'm so glad that we are having a conversation specifically about some of the relational and emotional components of the fertility treatment journey because gosh, it can be it can be really hard. But I think I hope that folks who are listening to this are gonna leave with um, some hope and some ideas for ways that they can continue to walk through the journey. Um, while also holding space for their big feelings and um, also prioritizing their wellness and um, and their their relationships and their connections as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Cassie.